Hello, and welcome to the Stink Space Podcast. Before we get started, we wanted to have a quick word about our sponsor. Now, dear Stank Babies, let's roll right into the Stank Space Podcast. Welcome to episode 6 of the Stank Space Podcast. This is a special episode, one we call Dark Space. This episode will talk about a serial killer who thought his alligators were the best human garbage disposal. And we have more listener experiences. Some of the things we talk about you may be offended by. And this episode is not for kids, so kids... Cover your ears now. That's right. Line up at the bar, grab a drink, and get ready to chill with us while some Texas-ass dude feeds people to a gator. <laughs> yee yee, dude. Oh. Uh. Hi. Uh, this is the Stank Space Podcast that is now recording. Woo, my name's Jill. That's and Nick I'm Dave. There. And what? Dave, Nick. Nick, Dave. <laughs> Yeah. However, people know me because people know me by multiple names now. Yeah, that's see, that's very interesting to me that that like I've always known you as Nick, always my whole life. So like, well, yeah, and then and people at work know me as Dave because it's like more professional, and that's yeah. my real first name. So yeah, you know, I don't know, man. It's just weird because when you're like, "Hi, I'm Dave," I'm like, "Who the fuck? Who the fuck <laughs> is this guy? Who the fuck? You know?" Tori is the same way. She, yeah. <laughs> momentarily forgets my actual name that's but funny. it's cool you can call me whatever you know everybody else calls me big stank so if you want to call me big stank you're totally allowed hell yeah dude you can call me g whatever. jill squillium fancy son that's one i've gotten before <laughs> that one's my favorite i think hell yeah <laughs> so what are we fucking Tyler. what are we doing today bro what are we we got some spooky stuff to talk about yes welcome to motherfucking dark space we got some serial killers Yo- to talk about in the intro we told you about how he thought alligators were the best human garbage disposal now me <laughs> logically knows that that's just probably not true so <laughs> i mean i guess it depends on how big the the gator is you know yeah dude, or I how am. many you have well, I mean, you the man, you know the facts. So why don't you lay it down? Okay, so <laughs> I will lay it down, and you can jump in and talk about shit as I go. Sure. Um, major shout-out, as always, to Wikipedia and Murderpedia, two websites that um, are taking funding, by the way, to keep running because they're they're not funded. So if you have the time... Go to either of those pages. You'll find a link on those pages, and it'll be like, hey, donate some cash. You can donate anything from, like, 50 cents to a fucking five bucks to a billion dollars, however you want, but it does help those websites stay running, and those websites are pretty vital. You know, a lot of people use Wikipedia. A lot of people like me use Murderpedia. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless you're in freaking school, and they're like, Wikipedia is not now in source. It's like I can <laughs> use it to, like, find a fact and then also – check that fact like i do that with other shit too like come on don't come at me come on and it's not like anyone can just write whatever they want on wikipedia eventually it gets checked and that's Mm -hmm. what the money helps do so yes um 
It's a way for people that love certain things to share as much information as they can about certain things. Don't know why I'm explaining Wikipedia to you people. Should already know all about it if you're little stank babies. Um, you probably use Wikipedia at least once in your life. Yeah. <clears throat> so we're going to go ahead and just jump right into it. Um, Hello, Philip DeFranco. How you doing? So I wouldn't categorize this dude as a serial killer because technically his body count isn't high enough. Mm -hmm. At least the body count that has been able to be proven isn't mm -hmm. high enough. But the body count that's thought to be real is. So we'll just... We're, we're going to call him a killer, but a serial killer kind of at the same time, I guess, if you're going to categorize him specifically. He's a, he's, a, um, he's a multiple murderer. Yeah, exactly. And a crazy dude. So there, um, there isn't much known about this case or this killer in particular. Uh, mm -hmm. I had to do a lot of, like, deep diving and piecing things together to mm -hmm. get, like, a clear story on him because a lot of... Uh, like I said, I used Wikipedia and Murderpedia for some of this, but a large part of being able to put this breakdown together for everyone is due to an editor named uh, Michael Hall mm -hmm. um, for the Austin Chronicle, where th this all happened in uh, Texas. So he works for the Austin Chronicle or worked for the Austin Chronicle. Thanks. And he was basically one of the only people at the time that actually like did what we try to do, which mm -hmm. is like get as much information as possible um, put it out there in a streamlined and um, like educated sounding fashion. Um, I would call him a true crime addict like me <laughs> with all the shit that he was able to put into these articles that he put out. Uh, I would definitely call him uh, a murderino like us. <laughs> he, he pub uh, shout out to my favorite murder who coined that phrase murderino. It's actually from the Simpsons. <laughs> mm. um, but that's what they call their fan base, and I'm a fan of My Favorite Murder, which is an excellent podcast, so um, I'm a murderina too. But um, our guy, Michael Hall, um, he published all of this in the January 1st, 2002 edition of Texas Monthly Magazine. Okay. And he is largely credited as the reason why there's even a remotely distinct reporting of these events. Okay. Other newspapers and stations at the time just focused on, like, the the crazy factor behind all of that. Um, so it was more of like tabloid news than it, uh, than it was taken seriously, which was kind of shitty because people legitimately died. But um, you may be asking yourself, Jillian, why was it tabloid? And I will say in response, <laughs> because it was Joe Ball, AKA the alligator man, um, a killer. So Hollywood that Hollywood copied him. Director Toby Hooper, which you may recognize uh, as the creator of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah, he made the horror film Eaten Alive, which is the second film he made right after Texas Chainsaw. Okay. Um, Eaten Alive is based heavily on the murders that <clears throat> Joe Ball committed. Mm -hmm. But aside from the casting, but aside from casting a shadow on the big screen, Joe Ball's name is one that parents. Um, in Texas would use to like get their shitty kids to behave yeah. <laughs> in the, in the, in the same way that boogeyman is used. Basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Bill Ball's murders were so mysterious and infamous that he has become something of like a, a campfire goat story. That's crazy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like the real dude. So terrifying to parents at the time that mm -hmm. their children are now like 
you know, they know the like people in Texas know Joe Ball. So if you're from Texas and you're listening, you know, let us know if your parents ever use the alligator man as a way to fucking trick you into not being a shitty kid. Um, his story is pretty interesting. Um, not something I would expect, but not something that's uncommon. Um, and that story starts in the 1800s. Okay. So specifically in 1885 in mm-hmm. Texas, uh, it's a wide open frontier that has recently recovered from the Indian wars, Indian being native American in this sense, but they're called the Indian wars. Um, and the back and forth fighting with Mexico over the territory because Mexico used to be almost all of, if not all of Texas, I'm pretty sure, before we just started taking shit. Yeah. Um, at this time, people were starting to focus on a broader future that would take the tiny towns and cities that they have <clears throat> and they upgrade that shit. <laughs> Enter Frank Ball. He packs up his shit, moves to Elmendorf, Texas, if I said that wrong, sue me, which is a small town. Uh, about 15 miles away from San Antonio. And I know I said that one right. Mm-hmm. So Frank Ball goes to Elmendorf, a town that sounds like a Harry Potter spell, okay, and yeah, borrows no. money. <laughs> and he borrows money from the bank there. <clears throat> he uses that money to open a cotton pressing factory. There's some weird slavey fucking vibes. Um, yeah. His business is rough at the start, but then the railroad comes through town. Mm. Uh, and as we know, um, for all of our, uh, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you should be very well studied in the railroad and the effect that it had on the West. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a given. So, but uh, I'll explain it a little bit for you. The railroad gets put down in a town. That town suddenly becomes prosperous because people are coming through that town. Yeah. Um, so he's got this cotton pressing factory, uh, processing, not pressing. Um, he makes a hella smart business move after the railroad comes through and he gets, he gets like even more rich. Mm. He, so he makes this nice business move and he starts to invest in real estate, baby. Um, he then makes another baller ass business move and he opens up a general store in town. So he's got multiple points of income now. He's running this bitch. He gets himself, our boyfriend gets himself a wife named Elizabeth, and they have mm. eight babies because Whoa. why the fuck not? Yeah. Yes. Eight babies no, out of it. one hoo ha? That's, that's an issue. No, that's great. I love it, honestly. Like, I, especially that's, back in those days. That's what dogs do, Jillian. That's what dogs do. Well, no, like, think about it. back in those days, infant mortality was like. Well, up, yeah. Up there. Yeah, I. I agree. I agree. And, you know, obviously back in those times, a lot of families had a lot of babies. Like my, uh, my family on my mom's side. Sorry. My cat is, I have this bucket of cat toys that's like underneath the thing and he will get underneath my, I have a um, (laughs) bookshelf here. So he goes into the shelf, like tries to get in the box. And then all I hear is like that. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, wow, dude, he's just being a crackhead. I'm like, dude, you have toys out already. Why are you That's getting hilarious. more? <laughs> yeah, my cat is just in horny mode because there's a boy cat outside. So she's just been constantly running around screaming and being a general lunatic. Cute. Yeah, yeah. So I feel your pain. <laughs> um, But yeah, eight babies is wild to think of now. And I'm not shitting on mm-hmm. people who have a lot of babies. I don't no. fucking care how many babies you have as long as you're a good parent. Yeah. My my point is like back at that time, eight having eight babies was usually like 
as far as my limited understanding goes, like when you have that many children, it's because it's cheaper to have children and have the children work for you than it is to like hire workers. But this dude basically like he, he has a cotton processing factory and that's where he gets most of his money. So I got to think he has slaves because cotton is heavily tied into slavery. Yeah. Um, or at least indentured servants, which are basically people that sign up to be a slave. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like really, really successful. So I don't know why they would have that many kids other than they just like the bang. And there's not like a contraceptive back then. <laughs> um, but yeah, because they're so rich, they're able to raise this family in one of the first stone houses built in that area. So up until then, houses were built with like wood and dirt and shit. But now they're, you know, it's one of the first houses um, built in this area out of stone in Elmendorf. Every baby grows up to be mega successful like Frank. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, like, for example, one of them becomes a member of the school district. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, he's a school district trustee. And another kid opens up his own grocery store. So they're just balling out of control. Hell yeah. Okay. Elmendorf, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's Frank and Elizabeth's second kid, Joseph D. Ball, uh, that we're going to focus on. Okay. Joe Ball is born on January 7th in 1896. Mm-hmm. Oof. So th- throughout his childhood, he exhibits behavior that we know now, behavior known in people with psychopathic tendencies. He doesn't hang out with other kids at all growing up, and instead he chooses to spend the majority of his time by himself, um, hunting and fishing in the woods, uh, running around, doing crazy shit. Like, he just doesn't like other people. He likes himself, you know? Yeah. As he gets as he gets older, he develops a passion for guns, which in the Wild West, I mean, everyone's got a fucking gun, right? Yeah. I mean, this isn't exactly like the wild, wild West, but it's still the West. You know, they just mm-hmm. got over everyone shooting everyone that's brown, basically. It's just a crazy time. Mm-hmm. Um, he spends hours and hours every week practicing them. In the 2002 uh, edition of Texas Monthly Magazine that I read, Joe's nephew was quoted saying, my uncle could shoot a bird off a telephone line with a pistol from the bumper of his Model A Ford. And if you say that in a Texas accent, it becomes a million times better. (laughs) My uncle could shoot a bird off a telephone line (laughs) with a pistol from the bumper (laughs) of his Model A Ford. That's just funny. absolutely legendary. Yeah, I can hear my dad. I can hear my dad saying it in my head. Um, you know, God bless Texas. And those skills are uh, eventually put to the ultimate test. On April 6, 1917, something happens in America. Uh, do you know what that is, Jillian? April 6, 1917. Man, I was never a history buff, especially in school. Rack like, your they were millennial like- brain. <laughs> he's like he's like uh here's the thing that happened and i was like shit can we move on to science i like that <laughs> i was uh i was super into history growing up so i know shit. this date and it is the day that the u.s formally calls germany out on their bullshit we enter the european conflict aka ww1 bitch <laughs> so shortly after the start of the war Joe Ball enlists and gets his ass sent right to the front lines, um, as, you know, many did. (laughs) There aren't really any records of his deeds during the war, but all in all, Joe does survive, and he gets an honorable discharge from the Army in 1919. 
the year 1919. <clears throat> so he ships back to Elmendorf. Joe tries to go back to being a normal citizen. He even starts working for his dad, Frank, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. as is the case with <clears throat> a lot of people that go to war, he is not cut out for civvy life. He, he The war fucked him up real bad. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff that I've seen, I think I mentioned a little later, but uh, he was in like foxhole shit. So he was like right on the front line seeing yeah. people get blasted and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so Joe does what anybody does when they realize they're out for a regular nine to five and he starts wheeling and dealing, baby. Um, <laughs> this homeboy starts to just straight up become a booze maker and booze runner during the prohibition because mm-hmm. as a, you know, being raised by genius businessmen, he sees the ability to make profit there. Mm-hmm. So he's just straight up bootlegging. And arguably, this is one of the most dangerous things you could be doing at the time because Prohibition was just obviously everyone knows Prohibition was with the U.S. trying to make alcohol illegal, and yeah. all that did was give all the power to the criminals, um, you know, selling booze and taking yeah. away um, credibility from the law enforcement that was basically forced to carry out these dumbass laws, um, kind of like weed. Um, <laughs> so during the mid 1920s, this is when he starts doing this shit. And apparently according to the stuff, like people talking about him, um, he loved it. He like loved how crazy dangerous it was. Mm. He's in He feels like he's in his element. So he, um, ends up doing very well in it. And he hires a local African-American Lifton Wheeler to help with the bootlegging. And they drive all around the area in Mm-hmm. They have a huge 50-gallon barrel strapped to the back, and they just fill it with booze that they make, and then they deliver it to people, like, fresh from the tap. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, Clifton, specifically, he's a handyman and is a big help, but eventually the business relationship turns more into Joe getting drunk and Clifton doing all the work. And I read that Clifton is terrified of Joe because whenever Joe would drink, he would blow off steam by shooting his gun at Clifton's feet and making him dance the jitterbug. Yep. So, as I was saying earlier, like, lots of crazy shit normal people don't do. Yeah. Um, eventually, through um, throughout all of this, it, it has to come to an end, um, including Prohibition. And with it, Joe's business dies. But he's resourceful. He comes from a rich family. Um, and now he knows the insides and of the booze business. Mm-hmm. So he buys a small plot of land right outside of town. Mm-hmm. Highway 181 runs through that area now. But back in the day, he opens up a tavern there and names it ironically the Sociable Inn. And if this mm-hmm. place is anything but, um, it is anything but sociable. He has two bedrooms in the back of the building and a bar up front. It's big enough for a full bar, a piano, and a table area where they sometimes held cockfights. <laughs> okay. Um, sorry, Peter. Don't don't uh, tase me, bro. People got along with Joe, but he also carries a reputation around town as like the guy you don't want to fuck with. So basically, me, bro. I walk <laughs> into the bar. People know what's up. Despite that, though, the business is doing well. Okay. And uh, like really well already, like right off the bat. And All then right. that's when Joe, because it's you know right off the end of prohibition, so everyone's like, oh, now we can go get fucked smashed yeah. without cops trying to shoot us and shit 
So um, that's when Joe has a great idea to go from very well to excellent. He has a hole dug behind the bar. He cements it, fills it with water, and then puts a 10-foot fence around it. Okay. Now, before we get into what he puts in, which I'm sure everyone's already guessed, Texas is no stranger to rich people doing wild shit with exotic animals. In fact, there are currently more tigers in captivity on private land in Texas than there are in the wild. <laughs> yes, there are more tigers on rich-ass oil barren land in Texas than there are tigers dicking around in the wild. At least that's what Google told me. <laughs> um, but tigers aren't the only animals that rich, crazy Texans have. Joe gets five live alligators, and he puts them in the new pool that he has created. One big boy and four small babies. Mm -hmm. um, and then he tells everybody about it, and it works. Tons of people come to see gators all the time, um, especially on Saturdays, because Saturdays are for the boys and also <laughs> for feeding alligators. <laughs> for the boys. <laughs> And what do you think Joe feeds the alligators as a show for his drunk customers? Uh, a cat? Basically any animal. Any okay. animal. <laughs> uh, cats, dogs, or raccoons. A lot of cats. Um, everyone loves it. They don't give a shit. Uh, there is a story about how Joe would feed the gators puppies and kittens, and the yeah. crowd would like... It would be like a gladiator arena. The like, crowd would go nuts. Just a bunch of yee-yees. And shooting guns in the air, all that crazy cool Texas shit. I don't my question it. for you is, would you would you watch that? I think, I don't know. No. If I'm tossed and I'm with all my friends and we're just at a bar, like we just show up and we don't know anything about it, mm. I'd probably stick around and watch what the hell these people are doing with these alligators. <laughs> I would not. Mm -mm. I'd be uncomfortable with it being like a, do a dog or a cat. <laughs> like, yeah. That's an issue. Like you just throw a dog or a cat into a like a pool they can't get out of. Yeah, Ooh, I don't um, like it. Yeah, but then again, if they had something cool like a, I don't know, like a leopard, because I've seen like video of jaguar and leopards jumping into a river and pulling it, like killing an alligator. Oh, that's like, I've seen, like, Yeah, I don't, it might be a crocodile. I'm pretty sure it's an alligator. But yeah, they jump into the water and, and they'll fuck up an alligator easy so if it was something big and able to fight it then i'd watch it i guess it's still kind of crazy but um in addition to the alligators joe also kept his male customers happy by cycling out female waitresses he only hired the youngest and prettiest women he could find um a little red flag here though they were always drifters looking for a job just to make a few bucks and then get out of town mm. almost always like these women that weren't here for a long time only here for a good time yeah. Right? So, Joe eventually meets a woman that people call Big Minnie. Mm -hmm. um, her name, her real name is Minnie God. Um, and most of Joe's friends think she's bossy and rude, but Joe's kind of into that, and mm -hmm. he dates her anyway. And they end up running the bar together for three years. Um, then Joe meets another woman named Dolores Buddy Goodwin. Um, he hires Buddy as a waitress, and even though Joe ends up throwing a bottle at her face. <laughs> Which results in a huge scar from her eye to her neck, which makes uh, me think maybe the bottle was false reported. Because like, a, a bottle, so like the like, reason it, did the bottle did he break the bottle and then throw it at her? Maybe. So that's what I'm. That's what I. That's like the only way I could think. Because in the movies you see it's super easy to like bust a bottle over someone's head, but in reality there's only a spot on the bottle that you can like do that on mm -hmm. that'll get it to break. 
So if he whips this fucking bottle at her head, it'd have to be real luck. And what I think happened is because of how insane he is, especially when he's drunk, he probably cut. And then it was, you know, it was like, oh, you know, Crazy Joe threw a bottle at my head. Yeah. Um, but despite all of that, Buddy and Joe fall in love with each other because mm-hmm. everyone knows when a man whips a whiskey bottle at your head by his pit of alligators, um, that's the dude that you want to thorn. So in 1937, mm-hmm. a third love interest for Joe develops in the form of Hazel Brown. Mm-hmm. Hazel is insanely pretty. Um, like all reports say she's a banger. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also starts working at the bar. So now Joe is forced to juggle three relationships with three different women all in the same place. And uh, those women don't know anything. Or if they do, they're cool with it. Okay. Um, but back in that time, it's ni- It's like it's 1937. I don't yeah. think that's a thing, you know? So right. um, in the summer of 1937, Big Minnie disappears. When asked okay. about it, Joe tells everybody about how to quote, a black baby, <clears throat> unquote, and ran away because of it. Uh, um, because it's Texas and it's 1937, everyone believes. And a few months later, Joe gets married to Buddy. Mm-hmm. He eventually tells her that Minnie never ran off, that in reality he had taken her to a beach, buried her in the sand after he shot her in the head. So Buddy doesn't believe him, mm-hmm. um, even though he just is flat out like, yo, shot her in the face, buried her in the sand. Yeah. Um, and they, Buddy and him never talk about it again. Okay. Um, in January 1938, Buddy gets into a bad car accident and loses one of her arms. Damn. Rumor starts, yeah, rumor starts to circulate that it wasn't a car accident, though, and that okay. one of Joe's alligators actually tore it off. But that's not true. Uh, <laughs> you, an alligator tears off your fucking arm, you don't come away clean. <laughs> yeah. Um, it doesn't matter anyway, though, because Buddy disappears in April. Mm-hmm. And not long after that, Hazel vanishes as well. So all three of his women vanish. The ruse of cycling waitresses and Joe's lies are enough to cover any suspicions from the locals. And life continues on at the bar. So because he's done such an excellent job of setting up the image that, you know, this is what I do. I hire these women to be here for a while. They're super pretty. That brings people in. And then, you know, they're on their way. Yeah. Um, kind of covers up or gives reason i guess to why all these people are just um joe does have a minor altercation with a neighbor at this time because the neighbor complains about the disgusting fucking smell coming from the bar Um. which joe responds by aiming a pistol at the man Mm -hmm. and saying it was the alligator's food and if the neighbor didn't mind his own business he would be their next meal boy um, oh, shit. So the neighbor was reportedly so much of a pussy that he packed up his family that night and moved away. I only say so much of a pussy because from what I know, in Texas, when a man points a pistol at you, you usually either beat his ass or shoot him or call the police. This dude just fucking, you know, is like, oh, and like leaves. That's it. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Now, keep it. I, I assume it's because of J- Joe's reputation up until this point. Like, he's a hardcore dude. But, like, <clears throat> all I know about Texas is from my dad. Mm-hmm. Dad was one of the toughest fucking people in the world. If a dude pointed a gun at my dad, my dad would take three bullets and punch the dude in the face. <laughs> okay. So maybe this, maybe this neighbor guy should feel differently. But, like, 
from my understanding, it's not taken lightly in Texas or anywhere, but specifically in Texas when a man points a gun. So mm. anyway, after this, these neighbors move, Joe's business still thriving. Things are going well. And then it's the middle of 1938. Okay. Big Minnie's family comes into town and starts to look into things after not being able to find her for a year. Mm -hmm. um, so even though Joe's position as ex-employer and ex-lover makes him a prime suspect in her disappearance, the police can't find any evidence of foul play, and Joe is actually removed from the suspect list. <laughs> oh. So the number one suspect – so usually whenever a wife ends up dead, it's almost always the husband yeah. or another lover. Um, that's just statistics. So he's automatically looked in. He seems like he's the dude, uh, by all accounts. And then they don't have any evidence. Like they can't, it's all circumstantial. It's all hearsay. So they're like, whatever. And then they even go as far as taking him off the suspect list. A few months later, another family comes to town looking for 23 year old Julia Turner. Mm -hmm. She had also been an employee for Joe. And when police question him, Joe tells them that Julia had told him about some personal problems she was having and that she expressed how she needed to move. Mm -hmm. So later, investigators search Julia's place uh, that she was staying at and they find that none of her things had been taken. Mm -hmm. All of her shit is still at this apartment. Um, lost my place again because I'm go. a horrible person. Um, so she had, uh, she had also been an employee for Joe. We already said that. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. So yeah, okay, yeah. So they go to her apartment. Mm -hmm. They go to Julia's apartment. They see that none of her, all of her stuff is still there. Okay. So they go back to Joe and they hit his ass up for more questions. Mm -hmm. And then he suddenly remembers that Julia said she didn't want to go back to her place because of her roommate. Mm -hmm. So he gave her $500 and she just, you know, skipped town. Okay. Um, wow. Investigators are forced to leave empty-handed once more. And you got to remember, this is 1938. In yeah. 1938, $500 meant a lot more than now yeah. when you're given. And even now being given $500 is a wild fucking thing. Mm -hmm. um, so during the next few months, two more of Joe's employees are reported missing. Uh, but there are no currently surviving files on their names. or um, For some reason, there's nothing. It's just known that two people that two girls that worked for him are gone mm -hmm. um but don't know anything about them other than that joe is interrogated for hours on end but ultimately the police have to clear him due to lack of evidence right so you want to be serial killers out there if you have enough lack of evidence police can't do shit to you <laughs> um that is until september of 1938 september is when joe's luck really hits the shitter uh, a neighbor goes to the police and tells them that he personally witnessed Joe cutting pieces off of a human body and feeding it to his alligator. Oh. Even more so, a farmer goes to the police um, and complains about Joe leaving a barrel behind his family's barn mm -hmm. uh, that smells, quote, like something was dead inside, unquote. So police go to the farmer's barn to see, but the barrel is gone. However, the farmer's family collaborates his story, mm -hmm. so that's enough for police to uh, visit Joe again. So this is like the third or fourth time. Yeah. Detectives, the detectives here are Detectives Gray and Detective Cleven, Clevenhagen, Clevenhagen. Okay. Um, they go to the bar and they tell Joe that they need to take him to nearby San Antonio for questioning. Mm -hmm. Joe agrees to go, but he asks the detectives if he can close up the bar first. They're totally cool with it. 
Um, they hang out at the bar while Joe goes about closing everything down. Everything's normal. They're keeping an eye on him. He's not being crazy. He's not trying to run. Mm-hmm. He eventually grabs a beer, uh, chugs that bastard, just slams that brewski up, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, before go, he goes to the cash register, and this is one of my favorite parts of the story. Mm-hmm. He hits a button labeled no sale. The register pops open, and Joe reaches inside, pulling out a 45 caliber revolver it at the detectives. <laughs> I just think it's cool that the, the gun button says no sale. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is the one of the most Texas things I've ever heard of in my life. Mm-hmm. Both detectives go to leap into action, but Joe immediately turns himself and blows a hole through his chest. And this is with a forty five revolver. Mm-hmm. So it's Clint Eastwood's fucking handgun, bro. This is the most powerful handgun in the world. <laughs> this is like... A big fucking gun that puts a big fucking hole through. Um, mm-hmm. So that must have been real fun for them to watch. Right. Some surviving reports state that he shot himself in the head. But most say the heart, so that's what I'm going with. Either way, it makes a mess. Yeah. Afterwards, deputies from all over are called to the scene because clearly this dude's fucking guilty. Yeah. Um, and they start to process the bar as best as they can. By the way, in case you didn't get it, Joe's dead now. It's not like he blew a hole through his body and he's alive. He's dead. That's why they're like, oh, clearly he's guilty of something. Mm -hmm. So they find rotting meat and they find an axe covered in blood and hair. Mm -hmm. At that time, I don't know if they're able to determine whether or not the hair is human. Um, Investigators also begin to link the bar to other missing people reports, including two more barmaids and a teenage boy that used to hang out in the bar. So there's a ton of other missing people reports from this area. Um, the horror of the situation hits the detectives hard mm-hmm. and Sheriff Gray goes into badass. They know that there's really only one person who can give them a clear picture of what the hell happened with Joe Ball. And they know this because they used to chase this other person in Joe Ball in their Model A Ford. And that is Joe's old buddy, Clifton Wheeler, the black guy that he hired to be his, you know, booze guy. Okay. So police pick Clifton up, take him in for questioning. He denies having any knowledge about the missing women, but eventually he breaks down and tells the truth of what he knows. He tells Gray and Clevenhagen that Joe's girlfriend Hazel had fallen in love with another man and was going to Joe. So that combined with Hazel accusing him of murdering Big Minnie because mm-hmm. Joe said he murdered Big Minnie okay. um, was enough to push Joe over the edge and he killed him. Police told Clifton that if they were going to believe him, that they needed to show him... Uh, where Joe disposed of the body. Mm-hmm. So he does. The next day, Clifton takes police to an isolated spot about three miles from San Antonio, near the San Antonio River. A crowd forms as Clifton digs in a certain spot. And then this is like straight out of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, soon, literal blood starts to just ooze out of the mud from oh. where Clifton's digging. And okay. then, following, like, all of this, like, just blood seeping out of, like, the dirt mm-hmm. um, is just this horrible stench. Um, and then Clifton pulls out two arms, two legs, and a torso. Uh. The smell is so bad that onlookers and police officers start vomiting. Like, there are Ooh. people throwing up fucking everywhere because this crowd is gathered to watch. When they ask Clifton where the head is, points to a snuffed out campfire and inside of it like in the ashes and stuff investigators mm-hmm. find a jawbone teeth and some skull pieces 
And so that with the body parts, um, that's all that's left of Hazel Brown. Um, yeah, pretty hardcore. Mm-hmm. <sighs> After investigators cordon off the new crime scene, um, Clifton tells them the story. He, uh, Joe had apparently had Clifton over to drink. They drank a lot. And then Joe asked Clifton to gather up some blankets and more booze before they took Joe's car to a barn and picked up that 55-gallon barrel mm-hmm. that that farmer had complained about and that was missing when they got Yeah. Joe drove to the river spot and forced Clifton to dig a grave at gunpoint. They okay. opened the barrel and inside is Hazel's body. So it's just crazy to me that if they had not done that that night, mm-hmm. the very next day, they would have found her body. Yeah. They would have been able to just go arrest Joe instead of all this crazy shit um, Clifton says that he refused to help Joe dismember the body and Joe starts to do it himself but he Joe is so drunk that he can't like do it right mm-hmm. so um, Clifton has to end up helping him by holding down the body parts as Joe saws them off okay um, this is a decaying body that was in a barrel for days in the Texas heat because Oof. it was the summertime yeah. <laughs> well, the end of summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, they eventually they get sick from the smell like over and over again. But every time sick, they would just drink more. So they'd empty all the booze <laughs> out of their body by throwing up, and then they would pound down some more brewskis. Okay. Um, and then they would just continue. So <laughs> once it was a bit eventually all done, mm-hmm. um, which is insane to me. Um, but you know, beer can do a lot of shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Big Stank's famous losing his place streak is continuing. Um, Yeah, okay, so. Once it was done, um, they chop off the legs and the arms. They bury the body parts, and then Joe specifically keeps Hazel's head. They build up a fire, and then they burn it in the... When questioned about Minnie's disappearance, Clifton says that Joe had told him how he had taken to Ingleside near Corpus Christi, um, which is like a, a very pretty beach, I think. Okay. Um, there they drank a lot, and then when Minnie was distracted, Joe shot her in the temple. Okay. His reasoning for doing so was that Big Minnie was pregnant with his baby, and Joe with Joe's baby, and Joe didn't want the baby interfering with his relationship with Buddy, so he kills Minnie, and then Clifton helps Joe bury Minnie, and then they drive back to the bar. So Clifton Wheeler has helped Joe essentially get rid of two bodies. On October 14th, 1938, mm-hmm. he's finally find Minnie's body in the area that Clifton told about um, because they didn't ask him to show them that body. They just went and found it. Uh, then they question him about the other missing women, but Clifton refuses to tie himself in, um, claims up and down that he has no idea what happened to anyone else. These are just the only two he knows about. Um he had no involvement with any of the women except for Hazel and Minnie. So back at Joe's bar, police find a scrapbook with, like, it's filled with women's portraits. Okay. Which is never a fucking good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they Because they believe it could be more victims. But they're never able to tie those pictures to any people. Um, it, mostly, like, if it was now with a computer database and stuff, they'd probably be able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing is that they think because of how Joe hired 
drifters like nobody's runaways. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he, at least he had been allegedly seen feeding body parts to his alligators. They think that that's what happened to all of, if not most. But um, investigators eventually are able to locate Buddy. She's alive and she's living in California. Um, San Diego, California. Mm-hmm. And she's living a new life. Another one of the missing girls was also find, found alive and well in Phoenix, Arizona, about two weeks after Buddy was found. But none of the others were found, to my knowledge. Um, none of the rotting flesh in the bar what, turned out to be human. Okay. Um, it was all just animals. And in 1957, um, Buddy does an interview with San Antonio Light, um, which is, I don't think it was a TV interview. I think it was just a um, newspaper interview. Mm-hmm. But she says that she defends Joe. She says that Joe had never fed the alligators any humans and that, quote, he was a sweet, kind, good man and he never hurt nobody unless he was driven to it. There was only two murders after all. Unquote. Uh... So she's obviously a little fucked up, too. Yeah, okay. Um, investigators think that Joe could have easily disposed of any human remains, and therefore they still believe he can be connected to up to 20 missing person cases. Damn. So his suspected body count is 22. Wow. Okay. In 1939, uh, Clifton Wheeler pleads guilty for his role in the murders, and he to two years in prison. Okay for basically being involved with two women's murders, one of them being a pregnant woman, which is considered a double murder. Mm -hmm. If you are pregnant and you get murdered, the murderer is charged with killing two people. When he was released, when Clifton Wheeler is released, he opens his own bar, doesn't go well. He's quickly driven out of town by reporters and uh, townspeople that are like constantly just fucking following him around, hooting and hollering, trying to get information out of him. Um, he disappears, and no one knows where he ends up. And there is no information. He probably has a, got a new name. Um, Joe's Gators, which I know are the main folk of this and what everybody's concerned about, um, his little baby boys were seized by the state, and they were sent to live out the remainder of their lives at the San Antonio Zoo. Okay. Um, they were apparently pretty popular tourist attractions, and although it can't be proven... Um, they would often talk about how the alligators used to kill over 20 people. Um, and that's, yeah, Joe, you know, that's the story of the alligator man. Um, I always hate whenever killers are, you know, it's like, oh, so you think you're big and tough. You obviously have something fucked up with you, but you, you know, you use this prowess that you have to take down multiple lives but when it comes to finally getting caught you're too much of a pussy to go through like you have to kill yourself and that happens with a lot of serial killers it's one of the my biggest pet peeves when a serial killer kills a bunch of people and then they kill themselves before they can see justice mm-hmm. i hate it um so joe ball can suck on my joe balls he's <laughs> a piece of shit um and yeah that's it so again big shout out to michael hall who apparently was a reporter who did the fucking at a time where no one else wanted. And that's the only reason why I have a little bit of information and story to cover. Like, obviously, this is told in all my own words. I didn't fucking copyright this dude, but he um, did a great job. And I think anyone who's willing to do crazy, crazy shit at a time where no one crazy, crazy shit is worth being told a good job to. 
So, yeah. Michael Hall, if you're still alive somehow, which I doubt, and you're listening, fucking you're an honorary stank uh, space, uh, little stank baby. So, congratulations on that. And that's it. Yeah, that's the alligator man. I hope you guys liked it. Hell yeah, dude. Anything, anything you about it that you want to talk about? Anything just, crazy stand out to you? I get it that it was like a, such a long time ago, but I feel like alligators are not that clean like you know what i mean like wouldn't they be able to like oh no they they eat okay so cool thing about gators that you don't know and the only reason i know Mm -hmm. story about how a child at disneyland got grabbed by a gator in the parking lot and he was missing for days and then they found him dead okay Um, so a thing that gators do is when they have food Mm -hmm. that's too big to eat they take it underwater and they'll stash it like in a little nooks and crannies like under logs or bank and then they'll come back to it to eat it once it's softer to eat but for the most part if a gator is big enough it'll swallow a bitch whole like it'll snap you into pieces there are videos of alligators and crocodiles which i know aren't the same thing similar so suck it up Mm -hmm. um they there's a video of a of a gator just straight up smashing a turtle and turtle shells are pretty hard yeah. and it's just like clapping his jaws up and down on it and then it like proceeds to swallow the t- turtle whole after it's all smashed up shell okay. and all yeah. so it's not inconceivable to believe that five alligators would be enough to completely eat a human being at a time okay yeah yeah i guess <laughs> it's like the, it's like the same thing as sharks sharks just take it like they don't chew they yeah. take a huge fucking chunk out of something maybe mash it up a little bit, you know, through the process of eating it, yeah, uh, like pulling pieces off of it, and then they just swallow. Mm. So, um, and then they have very, very strong stomach acid that's able to melt down pretty much anything, just like snakes. Like whenever my snake poops, all that's really left is hair and maybe some bone from the mouse. Mm. Um, and I know that gators are similar in that way. I'm not fucking Steve Irwin, not an alligator expert, but yeah. it's not one. If he had one gator. Yeah, it'd be hard for it to get rid of all that evidence at once. But when you have five alligators in a pool that's only like 10 feet around, mm-hmm. whatever's getting thrown into there is fucking done. Yeah, yeah, okay. And it's and it's gone. And nobody is going to want to go into that pit, pull those gators out, and then cut them open to see. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like now that would be done, but back then they were just given to the zoo and they became really cool uh, tourist attractions where everyone's like, let's go see the gators that ate. That's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. Pretty wild time. Actually grew up on a street in Madison um, where there was a dude at the end of the street who had a pet raccoon named Princess. And okay. then in his basement, in his basement, he had a pet alligator that was like the size of a love seat, like in length. It was pretty big. We didn't go in there. We just got to see him. <laughs> Whoa. But yeah, there are crazy people everywhere. Maybe that guy was feeding that gator girls. You never Yeah, I guess. All right. So I hear that we have a, a listener story sent in by one of my friends. And you're going to read it because it's yes. about ghosts and you love ghosts. Yes. It's um, about paranormal stuff. Now, uh, just so I'm 100% sure, she's okay with her name being put out, right? Yeah, we talked about all of this and everything. She, um, 
once you read the story, you'll understand why. Like, she doesn't care, but she's basically a ghost hunter. So, if anyone knows who Ed and Lorraine Warren are, um, probably a familiar name now because Lorraine Warren just passed away. Yeah. But what's the movies that are out that are scary about the ghost hunter people? Um, uh, Insidious and shit like that. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, like, The Nun. Mm-hmm. That all of the, those movies fall into the realm of Ed and Lorraine Warren and the stories um, that they have. They're basically considered like the king and queen of the paranormal community. Mm-hmm. Um, they like Annabelle. They had the real Annabelle, so they are the ones who found out that story, went and found the doll, and locked it up for safekeeping. As everyone knows who's probably listening to this podcast or talked to me in person about this subject, I don't necessarily believe in ghosts. I believe that there are energies and, like, I believe in spiritualism, I guess. Mm-hmm. But as far as, like, a dead, bo- like, a just, like, a dead person still remaining on Earth and floating around and doing crazy is a little weird to me. Yeah. Um, I won't flat out say it's not true. Because as a believer in science, I'm also educated enough to understand that I don't know everything and that science doesn't know everything. So eventually, maybe someday, science can prove that ghosts are real. Yeah. But what Temperance does, and the reason why I like it and support what she does, is that her group tries to figure out everything else it could be, like when someone feels like their house is haunted, and then they try to figure out if it's ghosts. So they'll go and they'll cover everything from the person reporting it and hiring them's mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll look at everything about the house. They'll do multiple different tests. As they're like, well, maybe this door flew open because this window was open. Mm-hmm. Like they do everything they can to prove that it's not a ghost mm-hmm. before they prove it's a ghost. And that falls in place to one of my favorite Sherlock Holmes sayings, which is, and this is just me streamlining it because I can't remember the old-timey Sir Arthur Conan Doyle talk, but mm-hmm. basically, once you've deleted everything possible about a situation as to what's causing a situation, the only thing that's left is the impossible. So that's kind of my belief in this. Um, even though I don't fully believe in ghosts, this is why I do support people that do. And um, I believe you wanted to read one because you like this stuff. So I'll just mm-hmm. sit back. I'll let you read uh, Miss Temperance Grace's radical dope story. I am recording again. Um, hey, guys. Nick told me not to say sorry, but I'm going to say sorry anyway. <laughs> uh, I kept making mistakes on the story that we were about to read. Uh, I feel like a huge doofus, but don't worry about it. We're no. about to get it all done for you right now. This is an absolutely amazing story. And after reading it like the three times that I just did... You guys are going to enjoy it a lot. I know that for sure. All right. Um, now, I'm going to be Let's reading this story quote for, quote for quote as she sent it to us. So, um, here we go. My name is Temperance Grace. I'm 27 years old and reside in Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank Stank Space for allowing me the chance to tell some of my story. I'm what is called an empathic medium. And the paranormal has been the number one aspect of my life. Experiencing a specter was even my very first memory at just two years old. Hmm. Sensitive women run in my family. 
Growing up was difficult because I lived with a mother whose own experiences scared her so much that it was like pulling teeth trying to get her to help me. It wasn't long into my teenage years that I began to really study the paranormal, familiarize myself with the do's and don'ts to really sit down and decide if I was going to do this, that I was going to do it right. Since I couldn't get help from my own mother, I turned to other professionals. And by the time I turned 19, I had created my own paranormal society. At 21... Gang, gang. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Like, props to you, for real. At 21, my society grew. It It formed itself into a functioning, seriously run group of dedicated people to help run... To help families feel comfortable in their own homes. Westmoreland Paranormal Society took on cases all around Pennsylvania. Now we're going to have a link to her. I think she has a Facebook page for um, her Paranormal Society. Um, It should have a Facebook for sure. Yeah, and that will be in the description below. Now continuing on to the story. (laughs) It wasn't long before I realized how deeply I had stepped it in stepped in what how fast things could go badly there was one particular case out in the middle of nowhere where two children were being targeted scratched thrown around and tormented minutes after we started the first round of investigation one of our own team members was scratched up her back and down her arm our motion sensor sent blazing screeches up the empty cold stairway evil It filled that house. And I had nothing but faith in myself, faith in my goddess, and faith in those boys to get me through. We left that night and came back the next day. No, the paranormal isn't what you think it is. It isn't like shows or movies. It isn't creatures stalking you down hallways. It's mental warfare. It's exhaustion. The danger is real. Two of my team members accompanied me back that day. This was, though I had been present for others doing so, my first time leading the exercising of a home. My first time raiding a space of a demonic entity. And it fought. My member Shirley was an avid believer in Jesus Christ, and she wielded that power. I remember through the whole process, she had this small wooden cross nothing extraordinary nothing amazing and the entire time she would clear a room she would place it against the wall and pray after an intense few hours an exhausting painful few hours we were done and the house felt light for the moment so did i i remember shirley gasping and we both turned to her and In her hand was her blank wooden cross. It began to morph and change in her hand. And now in clear letters, God lives here. It still shakes me. See, the thing about the paranormal is we don't have all the answers. We can't master it. There are paranormal professionals, but there are no paranormal experts. It's a science yet to be formulated despite our detectors and meters and all that. 
I made a mistake that day. I believed that we had conquered the demon. We. Not the goddess, not God, not faith. We. I've never been more wrong. Slowly, weeks after the exorcism, I began to feel sick, depressed. I saw an actual black, shadowy mass following me everywhere. I went... Oh, I see. Okay, sorry. (laughs) I saw an actual black, shadowy mass following me everywhere I went that would show me terrible things whisper horrible things i would it would keep me up at night hold me down and try to choke the life out of me eventually i shut down completely i closed down wps i couldn't handle it anymore i couldn't help others because i couldn't help myself and it became clear that i that we didn't defeat this demon it just found a new home with me I tried to kill myself later that year. I swallowed a massive amount of pills, but it wasn't done with me. They wanted me to suffer more before it took me. It stayed with me while I recovered. I knew now I wasn't ready, that I couldn't do it on my own, so I reached out for help. I knew it wasn't it was a long shot, but I decided to message paranormal investigator and medium Lorraine Warren for help. Mm-hmm. I told her my story and my background, and I told her that uh, all this crazy stuff had been happening. I was blessed that she had gotten back to me and was so kind. She prayed for me and gave me the best advice she could have given at 88 years old. She introduced me to her grandson, Chris, who taught me how to reign the demon and eventually rid myself of it. The Warren family not only helped me tap into my potential, but also gave me a whole new respect and understanding of paranormal as a science and how to respect it. Over the years, I've developed a close relationship with Chris, who mentors me through cases and how to handle them. It's been a blessing. I know I have a long way, long way to go, but my, career, but my goal is clear. With the help of the Warren Legacy Foundation for Paranormal Professionals, I wish to become an exorcist. My training is long, but the out, and the outcome is uncertain, but I've dedicated my life to helping others just the way that Chris, after years of me begging my family to tell me where it meant, is finally helping me. Hell yeah. That is amazing. Sorry for my multiple mistakes. <laughs> oh, you did a good job. Like, you read that like a, like a fucking Audible Pro or something. Not sponsored. <laughs> Not um, sponsored. Um, I just want to say, I think it's fucking dope that she was able to talk to the Warrens. Um, yeah. Anyone who knows anything yeah. about paranormal knows that they're like On the, the dad. Yeah, they're like the yeah. granddaddy OGs. All yeah. of those movies, Insidious, Annabelle, The Nun, all of those movies in that universe um, are legitimate things that Ed um, and Lorraine Warren both dealt with. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure they even, like like what Temperance and, and her group does, is they did a lot of uh, 
exorcisms of houses. Like they cleared haunted houses, which is pretty cool and obviously incredibly stressful and dangerous. Yeah. Um, now, like I said um, before, uh, I, even though it's, it might be edited out now, I just want to reiterate because it is one of my favorite quotes. It's that Sherlock Holmes says in one of his books that uh, when you've eliminated all of the possible outcomes, all that's left is the impossible. Mm-hmm. And as a believer in science, that's why I say I don't believe in ghosts, but I won't say that they're not real. I don't yeah. believe in demons and I won't say that they're not real because as someone who believes in science I'm also someone who believes and understands that science cannot explain everything or has explained everything so you know it's possible in the future maybe we do prove these things are real either way I would like to thank Temperance for sharing her story and uh, sharing her struggle with mental health that's not something everyone can do easily Um, and I think it's badass that she's doing what she's doing and helping people out I mean, at 19, forming your own group, that's incredible. I understand oh, yeah. that um, after afterwards it was closed down. Now, is, it, is it up now? Like, did she restart her group? or? I'm – see, that's what I, – I thought I mean, it was still open. Listen. It's still – it still might be either – if it's not, fucking reopen that bad boy. Keep doing the yeah. work that you're doing. Girl, uh, this you know what? I think we should just like like this video, leave a comment, let us know if we should get Temperance on our podcast so we could talk to her and like see what else sure. she has to say because this story honestly was amazing. And also being someone who is very interested in paranormal myself, I mean like my favorite TV show for a long time in my life huh. was the ghost, ghost Hunters. I know that show's kind of bullshit sometimes. Heck but... yeah, dude. I... No, it's great. It's a good show. <laughs> but like... I'm just like I'm. Well, pfft, a pfft. My brain is mind blown. Yeah. So like this video, leave us a comment. Let us know if we should invite Temperance onto the podcast so we can have a nice, friendly discussion. Oh hell yeah, that'd be fun. Um, and I know that she'd probably be down for it, figuring hey. out timing. But sure. yeah, that'd be rad. Um, and I would love to do that, and I'm sure she would too. So Temp, let us know. Um, as for all of you other little stank babies, we're going to go ahead and sign off so Jillian can pour some fucking coffee down her throat and wake up uh, and do all of yeah. the editing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, here we go. <laughs> all right. Oh, boy. All right, guys. Love you. Um, stay safe. If there's a ghost in your house, tell it, hey, bye, and that'll j- just will leave. That's how it works. Just kidding. Yeah, Don't tell listen them, to me. <laughs> tell the ghost to subscribe to our podcast. <laughs> Subscribe to Stank Space on YouTube. Thank you. Hell yeah. Your li- your ghost friend is watching this little, listening to this podcast with you right now, and he's like, yep. dude, this shit is lit. <laughs> Make me a profile. Subscribe me to this channel. Thank you. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we love you very much, and let's roll the outro. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to episode 6 of the Stink Space Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and that you like, subscribe, share, and check out the links in our description containing our research and social media pages. Remember, never drink with any alligators, and if your house is spooky, consider giving it an exorcism. Love you guys. Bye-bye.